0: Well, hello, uh, welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. Uh, I'm your host, Keith Dent. George, I think we have found the person that's going to talk tonight. Um, we, As you know, we're in part two, this is part two of our transformational health series of, for Black men. And uh, we're going to be unpacking some of the obstacles that are around black men's health uh, in really living optimally. And so, um, you know, as we discussed in the first episode around this topic, uh, statistically speaking, black men live seven years less than just other men's groups. Uh, And some other statistics, 44% of black men are considered overweight. 37.5% 375 percent are obese. Uh, there's a higher rate of diabetes and prostate cancer among black men, uh, and then there's a high suicide rate. Um, and crazy enough, um, it's the third leading cause of death for men ages 15 to 24. So there, you know, there's several reasons for that behind behind this issue and it's mostly because of the access to health care you know there was a study that I found by the Health and Human Services uh, that was done in 2019 um, men in general are 24 percent less likely than women to actually seek uh, medical medical care or going to the doctor in general with um, for black men it's about 50 percent. Where they don't actually go to the doctor, um, and so and, and so if they do go to the doctor, then one of the challenges have to deal with um, either they're getting either bad information, they don't trust the doctors, uh, and which causes them to not go regularly. So the thing, some of the things that could be avoided or treatable are not being done because of the fact that. We are just not going to the doctor often enough, um, which is leading to some of the issues. So there is a man that we're going to be interviewing tonight by the name of Aaron Perry, who had some of those challenges himself. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. But he turned his trial into triumph, not only just for him, but also Black men that lived in his area. And so we're going to be bringing up Bringing him up in a minute, but he's the founder of Rebalanced Life Wellness Association. So it's an organization that is trying to provide Black men and boys an opportunity to live fuller, healthier lives. Just a heads up there is some cursing in this episode. Aaron, uh, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. Thank you for the invite.
0: You're quite welcome. So uh, we're just going to get right to it. Like I said, you have, um, you're the founder of Rebalanced Life Wellness Association. I, and I just love the title because it's not balanced, but rebalance. And so that means kind of if you take the kind of dissect the word, meaning that we're off balance. But I'd love to know what kind of led you to open uh, this, self, this health center.
1: Yeah, you know, first um, foremost, thank you for inviting me uh, to be here. You know, it's, it's crazy. Over the years, I, I, I noticed the, the discrepancies, the disparities. But when you're in it, you know, when you're a uh, 20-year-old you know, college athlete and, you know, you're, you're, you're at the top of the game in terms of athletics, and then all of a sudden, four years later, you know you're you're not doing the two workouts a day you're not competing competitively but you still are trying to maintain that that college physique and you know just stand on top of that but i didn't notice um in the community at the time of living in iowa um moved back to wisconsin but i did notice that there was some concerns you know folks and men talking about a lot of different health challenges you know but again i wasn't in that space that I'm in now, but I do recall hearing that, you know. And so all of a sudden I'm 29 years of age, and then I'm I get diagnosed with diabetes, and uh, I was really concerned because I didn't think at the time that I, I looked like the stereotype that I used to see in terms of what a diabetic looked like. Um, but now I have this, and I'm I have to I have to change how I live, um, but. For me personally, there was a psychological aspect of being diagnosed with diabetes, and then learning that, you know, I have to now change the way I live. And that included taking insulin, you know, two to three times a day. That was very difficult for me because growing up in the inner city of of Milwaukee, I'd always Mm -hmm. promised my mom that there was a lot of things I wasn't gonna do, but I was gonna graduate from college. And I would never use, you know, drugs or needles. And then all of a sudden I'm diagnosed with diabetes. And the one Mm -hmm. thing that I promised my mama that I wouldn't do, I have to use needles, giving myself insulin injections just to stay alive. And so literally the first year of being diabetic, man, I was just rebelling. Um I just now made that mom, my my mom and that promise I'm, I'm just done. and I was rebelling and I was hurting myself mm. and finally I just came around to one had nothing to do with the other and of course my mom would want her son to to live and so I finally slowly came around but I did struggle psychologically with being diagnosed with diabetes and then being told I have to you know give myself insulin injection
0: okay just kind of backtracking what what sport did you actually play
1: yeah, I played basketball, um, ran a little track and then I dabbled in football, but basketball was my sport. Now basketball was, was your sport. And, we, and, then, and you played in college? <laughs> yes, I did. We- yes. Uh huh. I'm sorry. Where did you play? Uh, Crest University, uh, I Okay. Division three school in Davenport, Iowa. Um, and, okay. You know, I was, since it's, it's since closed, which is too oh, bad. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, okay. we put it on the map. We were it was uh you know one of the top NAIA colleges in the country. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: so it's interesting to say that you rebelled, and so in dealing with um, you know the black men that are in your you know your area yeah. where the center is, do you find that you you kind of hear about some of the issues that i described earlier in the study where you people are just mistrusting their doctors or they are not um going did you was that kind of your story as well when you were going through your journey mm-hmm. you know i i was
1: always in a position where i i, I strongly advocated for myself you know I, I was just a big advocate for myself And so any harm that I was doing, I was, it was self-inflicted. I was doing it to myself, but, but I also, in talking with some of the other guys and hearing that, you know, guys didn't have uh, insurance. Um, you know, I was fortunate that I at the time went, went to school and, you know, got my education, but I was meeting a lot of brothers that, you know, they either dropped out of high school or uh, didn't uh, attend college. And so I saw that the disparity on them you know when they particularly talked about you know having some some health problems it was just that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna wait it out or you know i I know it it will get better and i although i didn't know these individuals i made a mental note of why, why why is it that you know some of these brothers are you know struggling with health issues but they're not seeking help i didn't understand but again i was in a different space i was not that big advocate for them um, but looking back at that, you know, um, I just, now I know why I'm, I'm in this space. Um, I think this is God given, you know, I'm just following the plan that's laid out to me. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I just became a health advocate because of exactly what you're referring to, just constantly seeing the challenges in our community and knowing that the system, you know, can be and can do better. And so I said, if the system is not willing to do or be better, then we have to do it ourselves. And that's when I kind took of on, took on that initiative of just reaching out to men and just letting them know, hey, man, if we're going to make this work, we, we may have to do this on our own. And that's how I came to the, the decision of bringing healthcare care uh, to, to the barbershop you know, but we, I'll, I'll let you get, yeah, we'll get yeah. to that later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: We're going to, we're going to definitely get to that, but you know, just for, um, cause I'm on the East coast I kind of describe Dane County. What's kind of the makeup, uh, geographically or, you know, mm-hmm. also financially, it what, what is the makeup to give me a kind of give us kind of a concept of, uh, the, where you live? You know, this is a
1: easy one. Um, so, About five to maybe about seven years ago, um, one of the leading publications listed Madison, Wisconsin as the best place to live, the number one place to live in America. At the same time that publication came out, there was a report that was done called the race, the, the, the equity report. And that report listed Wisconsin as the worst place in America for Black people to live. Mm. And so you have this number one place to live, you have this um, organization that did an an internal in-depth reporting, Um, and it was deep, it was well done, but it really got to the heart of what was happening um, in in Madison, Wisconsin. And so sometimes you can say it's the tale of two different stories, Um, but for more, but there's actually about 15,600 black men uh, in Dane County. That's Madison, Dane County. There's about 15,800 black women. Um, so, in terms of men, we make up 6% of the male population in the county in which I live. About mm-hmm. 250,000 uh, people that live here. Um, and so, but it's also a college uh, community. And right. so, You know, you have a lot of educated uh, individuals here. Um, You also have, you know, a a lot of, um, you know, with the development that you see, beautiful complexes, beautiful apartment complexes going up, you know, but the reality is there is a small portion of our community that will never be able to live in those. I mean, because, you know, I raised the question once about who are these apartment complexes being built for? And one of the construction guys said to me, he said, oh, this is for the Epic employees, you know, and Epic is the big software company. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've just completely revitalized, you know, medical health records. And so um, that's what he said. No, this is for the Epic employees. And we know that Epic pays their employees very well. And so it was just a snapshot of where um, this city, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, in comparison to a lot of the other cities, you see a lot of this development going on. But if you are not in a position to be able to provide for yourself and live comfortably in these places, you're you're going to struggle. And unfortunately, health is always put on the back burner when um, when you're struggling to Make ends meet, and you're trying to you know be a good provider for your family. Sometimes healthcare gets put at the bottom, and that's hence where the whole rebalance life wellness
0: association come in. So you're saying, ironically, the complexes that are going up is for an organ for a company that's called Epic that deals with healthcare. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yes. And but <laughs> our people of color are having challenges via healthcare. Mm, one yeah, can, yeah. When mm-hmm. they can't um find housing among other things mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah. affecting their health oh wow mm-hmm. yeah
1: it is it is a challenge and you know and i mean hats off to to um the companies that we have here i mean they've been doing some great things for the com- community and by no means is this an epic issue you know epic is just a great company and they you know pay very well but the reality is when you look at a lot of the housing that's going up and you start looking at the low-income housing that seems to keep
0: going away, um, it's a challenge. Mm, Okay. So, yeah. So then let's touch upon kind of the framework of the Rebalanced um, Life Wellness Association and how what made you decide to create the program in the way, which I think is fascinating and very kind of, I guess, insightful on your part because of how it's um how it's created so I'd love for you to go into that a little more
1: yeah you know so I mean in, in a nutshell I mean I used to be a police officer you know I did that job I didn't care for it uh, I'll be the first to admit that um because you can't arrest your way out of a problem you can't arrest your way out of poverty and so mm. that's when I was a police officer and I you know took men in, in, in custody I would always look back in that back seat and I would say you know is there anything that could have been different that would have prevented me from having you in my back seat right now and guys you know would say you know i'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt and child support um i'm never going to get out of that um i'm homeless um mm. nobody cares um i i you know i have a heart comp I, ha- I have a heart issue i never, haven't been on my medication you know um but and those are the, some of the challenges that men were stating to me. And so early on in my in my law enforcement career, I made that connection to these social issues. And so if I booked someone in into jail, I showed up the next day with job applications. I showed up with housing applications. I said, if I was a part of taking your freedom away, I wanna be a part of getting your freedom back. And so I started coming in and just trying to be uh, a support for, for men that I arrested. And I didn't realize I was doing community policing before it was even popular. There was no name for it. It's just a commitment that I made. And unfortunately, I, I you know, the, the system was very uncomfortable with me showing up to the jail you know, wait a minute, you know, you did your job. Why are you here? You, you, you got a personal relationship with these guys. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a challenge. And that's when I realized that it wasn't a system for me that I wanted to be a part of, you know? And so, but that was really how rebalanced life started to form. And so looking at the challenges that these men had, then I start looking at more of the health disparities. And that's when I realized, you know, I served on a couple of uh, committees. Um, I served on a health committee, patient family center care committee. I served on a diabetic patient advisory committee. Um, and listening to the concerns of, of folks that were in the medical field, they were completely well-intentioned, but they were not very well-informed in what I found. Um, and so I, I saw my role very clearly that i wanted to be a bridge from black men in the community back to the healthcare system and so this is how my organization started to be formed and then ultimately what i realized is that i would hear questions that would come out in some of the meetings that i attended you know black men just don't seem to care about their health you know why don't we just keep getting that five dollar copay and call it a day and I remember thinking that's not accurate. I think the issue is we're not in the right place trying to reach Black men. And so ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what led me to reaching out to the owner of a barbershop with this idea of putting uh, a health center and ultimately a health clinic uh, in a barbershop.
0: Wow. I mean, that's that's pretty insightful uh, to think about and and, and very... It's almost perfect because, I mean, one of the centers, besides you know, besides the church, where you will see a large congregation of black men, and for younger guys, yes, maybe the basketball court, but not not, not old folks, but um, but the barbershop. Everyone has to get their hair cut. So, when you brought it to their you know to their attention to start this, what was what was their initial response? Mm -hmm. You know,
1: the, before I did that, I actually researched the barbershop. I mean, I went way back to the 1900s when, when there, there was the Jim Crow era where the barbershop was everything. The barbershop was a pharmacy. The barbershop was a place where men could go just to feel safe, Mm -hmm. um, to feel welcome. And so I went back and I researched a lot of what the barbershop meant to the community. And I ended up just kind of bringing that back forward. And I said, you know, I want to in essence replicate that and make the barbershop be a place where healthcare is what the community needs, especially these men. And so I studied that and then I finally set up a meeting um, with the owner of, it's called JP Hair Design. It's Madison's largest black barbershop. So I set up a meeting with him and uh, I pitched it to him. But I knew that my pitch needed to be really sharp because um, I can imagine as a barbershop owner being the, one of the largest black barbershops in the community. I'd imagine he gets hit up all the time by people wanting to sell stuff and people wanting. So I knew my pitch had to be spot on. So, I, you know, we went out to breakfast. I pitched this to him and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Aaron, I hear a lot of presentations and most of the time they're red light. He said, today I finally got my green light Mm. and said, let's move forward with it. And so neither one of us knew what to expect, but at the same time, he he was honest too in that he didn't utter the words because you're a former cop, I don't know how this is gonna be received, but I think that he was, prepared to provide me cover and so all of a sudden now I'm asking men as a former cop in a barbershop a black barbershop now I'm asking them to trust me (laughs) you know and I could tell you it was um it was not easy in the beginning and the owner of the barbershop absolutely did provide me cover he co-signed for me because there were guys um that sometimes i remember walking in to the barbershop shop once and um if i can make this statement because we're keeping it real but um, yeah absolutely statement this is a was, real show yeah when i walked in i heard this guy say is this motherfucker back again that you know i was shocked you know but i understood this was their space you know and i'm i'm, I'm a former cop even though i did the job you know not very long mm but I was still you know, in their space. And um, some of them pushed and they pushed and they pushed, but I didn't go away. Mm-hmm. I stayed true to my vision and I did not cut corners. And I knew that um, by me coming with, uh, with an open heart and genuine intentions that ultimately they would see that. And, and that's what happened. They slowly started coming around you know, I would go out and, hey, man, let's get that blood pressure, you know, and some guys would be, you know, resistant, but then guys would come in and, you know, they would, you know, let me do their blood pressure. And then all of a sudden we brought in nursing students from one of the colleges. We were brand physicians that would assist us with, you know, diabetes testing. And all of that was we were building our brand, but more than anything, we were building trust with
0: black men um, in, in our area. That, that's fascinating because, I mean, the fact that they saw you as a police officer first and not in kind of a black man second, that's trying to provide a lifeline to these okay. brothers. But, but then I think, was it was it initially fear that kind of kept the men from actually trusting you or was it because of who you were, you, okay. what your profession was?
1: Right. You know, um, we've had a lot of time. Uh, COVID-19 forced us to really take a step back and kind of evaluate a lot of things. But mostly when, you know, when we announced that we were in a pandemic and things got really bad, remember all the barbershops were shut down and uh, all of the governors, you know, said, you know, we're going to shut the barbershops down until we can get this pandemic under control. And I remember thinking, you know, gosh, you know, we worked hard to to earn trust. And now the barbershop is going away. Are we gonna have to start this all over again? And how how are we gonna be able to do this? And so I got together with a small group of my leadership team and we decided to host. Um, weekly black males, mental health and well-being support groups, you know, and, and in essence, we were like kind of doing exactly what you're doing, you know, and we did it for 90 minutes on a Saturday and we just started inviting, you know, public health officials. Um, we invited um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. He's a young black man, the first uh, Lieutenant Governor, um, you know, obviously young guy, sharp guy. We brought him in, you know, because we were still trying to build trust, but we also wanted to help guys stay sane because we were, we were feeling that we were losing a, a lot of our, our men in terms of, you know, just I can't go to work. I can't provide for my family, you know. And so we started doing those support groups, and that's how we were able to really kind of maintain um a lot of what we were doing um so that when they started lifting the restrictions a little bit more we were able to at least say okay we didn't lose a lot of ground in terms of that trust that we developed and so again it was just us for one proving our worth and showing guys that this is an investment in you we care about you enough that we're offering this service it's not much but we are still offering this because we care about you and we
0: care about your mental health. Great. Great. Also, what's great about your program is you offer some very um, interesting and great programs to kind of engage men. So what are some of those programs and Mm -hmm. what has kind of been the, the outlook from those programs that you've, that Mm -hmm. you've.
1: Yes. So probably the biggest thing that we've done is, you know, we let the men guide what we do. You know, we can sit and say that research says all of this and I'm not anti-research. It's just that we've gotten as far as we have by listening to what black men stated that they want and that they need. Um, What we do know is America has been extremely good at listening to the voices of black men, but they've received a complete failing grade on hearing our pain. You can listen to our voices, but if you're going to ignore our pain, are you really helping us? And that is kind of what we what we saw. And so we started doing a lot of um, you know focus groups. We did tons of surveys, and based on those, that's how we design. Rebalance Life Wellness Association. You know, when I talk about patient-centered care, we are barbershop men-centered care. I mean, that is what we are. And so it's been, you know, so it's easier when you are meeting men where they're at um, and you're providing specifically what they want. And so again, I took good notes. My staff took good notes. Um, every single person that walked into our men's center, whether they got that beautiful haircut and came in, we didn't look at them as as you know this you no know, this big barbershop. We looked at them as individuals because they all pre- presented with something different, and that's how I believe
0: we've been able to be successful. And so one of the things you mentioned is earlier is that the the, the doctors didn't really have a real clear understanding of black men's issues in the community, but now since you've been open, what has been, what feedback have you gotten from the medical profession? Yeah, one of the things that I can tell you is that, you know, um, we have a
1: health organization in our community, SSM Health, I tell you, top of the line, health center, health service, health organization, um, they have, they saw what we were doing, no others did, and they came on board and, and supported us and from the time that ssm health has came on and supported us we have started to see some of the other health systems that have come on and and work with us um, i've been invited to do uh, presentations with the medical school um, first and second year medical students but we also work with a lot of the physician and with that i can tell you um, we have really um brought everyone kind of together on the same page so to speak
0: oh okay that's wonderful because i mean i think that's has always been the biggest challenge is that and and some of it bears out uh which i didn't go into depth in the study uh that was done in 2019 is that there wasn't a clear understanding of what our issues are and black women in general (laughs) as well not knowing what the what are some of the issues that we face and to being able to provide proper treatment um, and to recommend certain things because they don't, they're not really sure of what some of the issues we are, we have. And then with the lack of people of color in the profession, trying to look, always find uh, that person that we can trust and is very hard to do. So above, above you right now, there's a thing <laughs> that Perry Family Free Clinic. So um, it set, sounds like that is kind of the next journey of your um, organization. So I'd love to hear why you des- why you decided to do that and what yeah. came, what has come been the uh, experience so far.
1: Yeah, with the Perry Family Free Clinic, um, this is dedicated to the legacy of my late mom and dad. Um, they embodied it takes a village um, to 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 raise a, a child, but also. Um, it takes a village to help improve the health of those that are struggling. So we created this for it's a it's a clinic for uninsured and underinsured black men. That was important because as we did a lot of the um, the surveys, we started looking at the men who were chronically using the ER for their health care. We knew mm-hmm. that this was a demographic that uh, or, or a group. That we we needed to focus on, and so that's kind of where that came from. Because you know, one of the things that we cannot have is we cannot have um, uh, our our men, those brothers, you know, black men that are in the community that are struggling. We can't ignore them. You know, we have to extend a hand and and lift them up, and that's what this is all about. So we, you know, we provide primary care services. You know, we provide. A diabetic foot care clinic, you know mm-hmm. everything that it takes to help these men
0: be okay. That's what we're gonna do. Because I think you know by them going using the emergency room, that's also cost to the hospitals yes. that they were not getting. They weren't getting back <laughs> because yeah. they didn't. But they couldn't turn them away because that is not part of the, um, I guess their credo as hospitals. So, um, so what are some of the the besides the diabetic foot core, Whatever. What are some of the other treatments that you you can receive?
1: Yeah, you know, so like I said, we, you know, we're primary care, um, you know, organization right now, very excited. And again, we're part of the uh, free and charitable clinic networks. And so there's, you know, obviously, if men come here and they have insurance, you know, we 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 will work with them on getting in to see their doctor. But we have to be careful of not seeing men that actually have good insurance although we have gotten a lot of men that have said already, uh, Aaron, can I I just see my doctor at your clinic? Um, Very profound, but we Mm -hmm. understand it because this place is, as you can see on the back of the wall, this represents what we are trying to do. We are trying to meet these men where they're at, but we also wanted them to understand that this is exclusively for them now we know that health disparities cuts across all ethnicities so no one will be turned away um but but this is you know we we're focused on you know treating you know black men and getting them the care and and making sure that they know that once they walk out of here they now have a medical home
0: oh great and are, is your staff primarily african-american or is it a very diverse staff of doctors yeah, you know, um, one of the things that I've learned
1: in doing this work, there is a challenge in in Wisconsin, particularly in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, to have Black physicians. Um, it's they're, they're just hard to come by in this area. And so I learned early on in doing the surveys and doing the focus groups, men were telling us, you just bring me someone that will look me in my eye, if I'm sitting in, 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 uh, in the doctor's office, they're not focused on their computer, but they're looking me in the eye, you bring me that person and I will welcome whatever they can bring to my life. And so we learned that yes, it is important that you be you know, culturally diverse, but we also learn that if that is not an option in your area, you bring the best people into those men's lives that are going to also um, build on the support and the trust that you provided that you've established and so i hear more from the medical community about we we know we're not black you know i hear that more from the medical community than actually from men you know and Mm -hmm. so i tell them that If you come and you're willing to roll up your sleeves and help these men get better, help them uh, understand and make that connection to good health, then you are welcome uh, here. And that's the way that I try uh, to describe how it is you can move forward when you don't have, you know, doctors of color. Now there are some men that have just flat out said, you know what, I'll take my chances, I'm just gonna wait until I get a black doctor, you know? And I respect that, you Mm -hmm. know? So we try to provide whatever we can as non-physicians. We try to provide that. So one of the workarounds that we do, so inside my men's health uh, centers, so we have three men's health centers and three different barbershops. So we have literally two computers in each location. One is set up to the the Harvard Medical, the other one is set up to Mayo Clinic. And so if men come in and we're unable to have a doctor or a nurse on site, then we go online and we research whatever their struggles and challenges are. That replaces us from trying to be what we're not and we're not not doctors. Mm. And so in essence, for instance, we had a guy that came in and he was talking about the fact that you know his his girlfriend or or wife maybe um had kicked him out of the bedroom she said he was snoring like a bear and he was upset you know rightfully so so he asked man can you guys help me and i said well i mean did she tell you anything he said yeah um she indicated that when i'm sleeping and i'm snoring it sounds like i stopped breathing and I said, you know, have you ever heard of sleep apnea or sleep study? He had never heard of that. And so what we did is we logged on to the Mayo Clinic and we researched what sleep study is. We researched what sleep apnea is. And so now here it is, this client of the barbershop is reading this and he said, Aaron, that's me. That's me. Mm-hmm. And he, And so we ended up saying, OK, the next step is we're going to help you get a sleep study this young man did not have insurance and so one of the things that we do is we brought in an insurance navigator there's an organization here called covering wisconsin and that is what they do they help people get affordable health care so we brought this company in and we actually have an insurance navigator on site now so anytime someone comes in and they don't have insurance we have a person that can sit with them right on the spot and help them get that process started and so having covering wisconsin come in we ended up um, helping this uh, gentleman get started with getting his insurance and then we actually help him set up uh, a sleep study and i'll never forget i made sure that he made it to the sleep study because I actually went and picked him up, <laughs> you know, and, right. and I dropped him off. Cause I said, you know, brother, we cannot have you missing this appointment. Right. Because he, you
0: know, st- he had to stay overnight.
1: Yes, yes. So I ended up, you know, pick him up and you know I dropped him off. And you know, I said, you're gonna be good, man. You're gonna be okay. Okay. He was nervous, of course. But obviously he came back in and um afterwards they said, you know, you definitely need a, a CPAP machine, you know. And and that was so powerful because, two months from the time we had that interaction, he came back into the barbershop and he walked in and he yelled out loud, "I'm back in the bedroom," you know. <laughs> and then we all started laughing, but you know what? That was profound to him. You right. know, he's back in the bedroom, and he, you know, we we joked. So you know, so what 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 is the missus saying? And he said, "Yes." Yeah. She said, I, I, "I purr like a little little bear now, you know." <laughs> but I loved hearing how that interaction was so different from what brought him to us. And the 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 one thing that I can say that is what we pride ourselves on mm-hmm. with the Perry Family Free Clinic, we're saying that from from the time you walk in our doors. We're gonna give you 60 to 90 days to have your life be completely in a different place than what it was when you walked in the door. We're going to have a community health worker working with you. We're going to help you if your issue is housing, if your issues are uh, substance abuse, or mental health, we're going to work with you. And it is our goal that within 60 to 90 days you will be in a better
0: place. That is the goal of the Perry Family Free Clinic. That that's awesome. Because you not only saved a life, you also saved a relationship. So yes. Mm-hmm. You well know, being a I'm a relationship coach. So that's just <laughs> uh, fast. That's just a great thing because something is as little as that because we could have um looked at that in a very different way mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, he, she doesn't love me or what have you, but it was really just a simple mm-hmm. thing is just getting checked out to figure out what, what the issues were. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I that that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually interesting that you
1: say that, um, one of the other, um, and inc- I shouldn't say incidents, cause that's not correct. But one of the other gentlemen that came in, um, he said to us, he said, um, Hey man, um, I think it's time. He was one that every time we would ask to get his blood pressure, he would always, Oh man, I don't want no bad news today. And he was like, You can get it next time and next time. And then all of a sudden, life brought him in. And so he came in and he closed the door behind him, you know. And one of the things we pride ourselves on in the barbershop is that. We tell guys you don't have to close the door this is the barbershop man we we roll up our sleeves for each other Um, but the guy came in and he closed the door so that told us that he he wanted some privacy and uh he said that you know he was attempting to perform with his um, partner and uh, he just didn't have any success and she told him jokingly you better figure this out i'm gonna get me a younger man and Mm -hmm. he said that he knew that she loved him. He said, that's not the issue. I don't want you guys to have a, a bad view of my, my girl. That's That wasn't the issue. He said, but but it still hurt that she was joking about that. Trying to make light of the fact, because she didn't want me to be in my head. But he said, it still hurt.
0: Mm. And
1: so he came in and said, you know, man, I, I got to figure this out. And so we finally ended up getting um, a, a blood pressure reading from him. And, and it was significantly elevated. And so what we told him is, just like we tell everyone, one high blood pressure doesn't mean you have, a one elevated reading doesn't mean you have high blood pressure, but you now you want to keep monitoring this. And so we encouraged him, because he was a guy that had good insurance, and we encouraged him, you know, we get wrote the numbers down on a card, and we said, take this to your doctor and share this with your doctor. Um, and so he ended up, I remember uh, coming back in, I want to say about the same time, you know, maybe a month or two months later. Um, but he came back in and he had this little bottle in his hand and he shook the bottle. And I was like, What is that, man? I said, Is that blood pressure medication? He said, No, man, it's Viagra. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, all right, brother, you know. But yeah. he said that he was also taking his blood pressure medication. Right. And he said that in, in, in having those conversations with, uh, with his doctor, initially, he said he was uncomfortable bringing that up. But he said he remembered our voices in his head. Mm. They cannot help you if you don't share what's going on with you. And so he, he just broke down and said, you know, I, I need help. You know, I love this woman too much to lose her. You know, and so now he's got his blood pressure medication. He's has his little pills that's gonna help him out. And yeah. you know what? He's 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 doing well. We don't we don't have to have that conversation anymore because right. he moved on, but there was times that he would come in and he would be, thank you, thank you, thank you guys, thank you. And he's like, No man, you did the work yourself. We right. just kinda, you know, nudged you a little bit.
0: And 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 also, which is great, uh he was a he came from a position of strength as well, because at least he had an idea of what the issue what the problem was, as opposed to going in blind to talk to the doctor. So at least the doctor couldn't give him false information because he at least knew that yes, I do have high blood pressure. At least I had a reading and say, Oh, there's some more tests that need to be done. Because what will happen, you know, a lot of times I've heard. You know, there was a quote by someone earlier, um, by the name of Tim Davis, who's a friend of mine. You know, he had to get an operation, you know, and he's a younger guy, but when he went to the doctor, they would tell him that, oh, it's okay, you don't have any issues. And even though he had an idea, he did, until it was until it got to the point where he had to, he had to have an operation. So that that's that's um so it's a great to at least have a position of you know, come from a position of strength. And that's what the the clinic or the association allows men to do in come at least some knowledge of what's going on with their bodies. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, this is all happening in their space. It is also led by black men, mm-hmm. you know, and this is um, what I pride myself on the most. Um, you know, our clinic, we just opened uh, three weeks ago.
0: Oh, um, congratulations. We, uh,
1: Thank you. Yeah, we've seen 11, 11 patients so far. Um, and, and it's been very well received. But but what was really profound is the very first patient that came in. Um, I remember after his appointment, he asked me if he could just have a seat in, in the lobby area. And I said, absolutely. And, you know, I walked away doing some other things, came back, he was still sitting there. And I said, you know, you good? He said, yeah, man, I'm good. He said, I'm just he said this this what you guys are doing is amazing. He said, "Aaron, there's no way that I would have ever gotten an hour and a half with my doctor." He said, "I had an hour and a half with your with the doctors here. There's no way that I would have ever received that." And he said he just wanted to sit and take it in. And that, that of all of the the testimonies that I could have received, That told me, and he was the very first patient that we Mm -hmm. saw, that told us that we may be in the right place and onto something. And now we had 10 other patients that have come in and it's been very well, well received. So we're really excited about the future of this um, and we're hopeful that this can continue.
0: Well, and that's a great segue. So what are the plans for the future of Rebalance Like Wellness Association?
1: Yeah, you know, so ultimately we want to continue to strengthen this right now. We're only open, you know, one day a week from on Thursdays from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Our goal is to try to see uh, 10 men in between that time. So every other week we're open, um, but in between that, so we do the free clinic twice a month. But we also are working with our Edgewood College nursing students. And so we have a group of nursing students that come in under the guidance of their professor, who is also you know, a, a medical person. But they lead a diabetic foot care clinic. And so those are the things. So every Thursday, we are able to provide this community, especially uninsured and underinsured Black men, we're able to provide them a very critical service. We have now become their medical home. And so I'm really pleased with that. But more specifically, what are the plans? We'd like to be open at least two or three days a week. Um, that would be the goal. Um, but we know that we are not there yet. You know, Just like with anything, the community will support this. Um, we put information out in social media. And ironically, more women are the ones that are responding, saying, I'm going to get my guy over there. And so we're really pleased that, that that that's happening.
0: Yeah. You know, shout out to black women. They they hold us down. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we we have to, well, have to start doing the same, but that's another show. So, <laughs> we'll get that. Um, uh, so I always like to end the show because you're doing such great work. Uh, as well as all the the guests that usually on the show, but we don't necessarily talk about ourselves and how we're feeling. So my question, I always, is, what's on your mind, you know, right now as a black man? You know, what gives
1: me concern, um, being a former cop and watching that that craziness that played out uh, in Washington, you know, during the inauguration and leading up to it, uh, that gives me grave concern about where we're headed as a country. We know that you know there has always been a divisiveness, um, so that gives me gives me some concern. But we also know that we are we are people of faith, and, and I think that that's going to to carry us through. But I am concerned about the state of the divisiveness that we're hearing. Uh, between you know um, the, the two different parties and specifically one in particular. I am concerned about that, um, but we're going to just continue to do the work. Um, we're going to continue to wake up every morning. Um, we're going to talk with our men. We're not just going to um, listen to their voices, but we are going to heal their hear their pain and we're going to respond to that. Um, I truly believe that what we've created here with my three barbershop health centers, and now this free clinic, I believe that this is the future of healthcare. If 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 people are serious about reaching black men, the black community, uh, I think that this the early indications clearly are we've we've hit a home run. Lastly, I will say again, we've served since we opened five years ago with the with the barbershop health centers. We've served five thousand. 900 black men that's providing them with at least four hours of daily preventative, non evasive preventive health screenings. Um, that is almost 38 percent of the black male population in our county. Our goal by the years out, we want to be hovering right at around 50 percent of the black male population. I don't think that there's a health system in our state
0: that can say that. Bravo, bravo. And are you good? You know I
1: am I am good you know because when when you you have to practice what you preach you know I I sleep well um I you know obviously with covid there's there's been a little weight gain you know so I actually signed up for a half ironman in September and so I'm slowly starting to get ready for that because you know I got to drop that you know I got 20 almost 25 pounds that I want to take off mm-hmm. but more than anything um you know, I just want to be able to be a role model um, and, and practicing what I preach. If I'm encouraging and telling men that they have to get themselves in a better place health wise, I got to continue to to lead by example. So, but now I'm I'm really good. I I've always practiced self care. Um, I have a, a psychologist that every so often I'll call them up. And say, hey, man, I need to be reset. <laughs> you know, so I'm not afraid to. You know, you can't lay down on the couch anymore. But right. I'm not afraid to call them up and just check in with them. But I remember he uh, he and his wife, they work together, but I'll never forget. They said, we really like you, Aaron, because you check in for yourself. And, and that's what I would encourage uh, anyone that's listening is to find that place, find that therapist, find that person that you can check in. That doesn't mean that you're crazy that's saying that you want to be a better person. You want to be a better provider, but more than anything, you want to be there for your family because one of the things that I share with our men is that, okay, if you don't take care of yourself, you know, that big house that you built, that beautiful wife that you have, if you don't take care of yourself and you die early. Some other suckers going to be lying his head on your pillow, you know, <laughs> And believe it right. or not, that actually gets a lot of guys' attention. You know, um, but that's the reality, you know, we got to be here for for our partners and, um, and, and you know, and our wives and, and girlfriends and whomever, but we got to do our part.
0: Right. And one thing you wanted to say as we close is that um, you you are a role model because you're leading with your heart. So I just want to leave you on that note um, that you are already a role model because you saw you saw something. That you could do, uh, and you worked with nothing actually, and brought it to the community, and it is, and, and in turn, I think it has. People are taking note, and you have transpired the uh, medical industry, and I do hope for good things and great things that will happen um, with your organization, not just in Wisconsin, but on a national level as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you for that, and you know, I am. Um, I'm part of the. Um, Black Men Run um, organization, so I'm the national director of health, wellness, and disease prevention for Black Men Run. We have 52 chapters across 32 different states, and so it gives me joy to be able to, you know, talk about health and encourage all of the different chapters uh, across the country to do that. But if people are in the community and that are listening and that they want to be a part of a, a strong group of men that get together and you know just focused on health and focus on that social connectedness i would encourage them to find a black men run um group in in their community there's again we have them across 32 different states
0: okay great well aaron i just want to thank you for joining this evening and i really look forward to hearing more about your rebalanced life wellness association as well as your perry family clinic all right. Thank you so much for the invite. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Take care. Like Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can find previous episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts, like Lipson, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So, folks, um, that was truly um, wonderful and i just want to uh implore black men if you haven't um started to participate in the black men's transformational health challenge uh that you might start today one for one try to go to the doctor and get a checkup you can at least go to your pharmacy i think they give screenings if nothing else talk to your barber because your barber is your trusted friend and, uh, share what what's, uh, what challenges you may have. You never know. They encourage you to go to the next level and get what you need to get done. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.